you know, I knew, do you know who Larry Grathwell was? Uh, I'm not sure. Refresh my memory. Okay, Larry Grathwell was um, a man who was a uh, special FBI informant. He went undercover and he penetrated the Weatherman Underground. I got to know Larry fairly well. He was on my show some, he was on the Hagman show some, and, and he was just a really good guy. And, and I think this video is still out there on YouTube. But he told me once, and the last time I ever interviewed him before he passed away, he told me that he sat down with Bill Ayers, the founder of the Weatherman Underground. And there's a point to this story. So audience, don't leave this thought because this is not a history lesson. This ties into Obama. And Bill Ayers was asked by Larry Grathwell. Bill Ayers was the head of the Weatherman Underground. Bill said, um, uh, he was asked the question, what will you do if you ever win? Now, you have to remember, the Weathermen Underground, they weren't hippies, anti-Vietnam War people. They were Yale, Harvard, Ivy League graduates with master's degrees. They were leading a communist revolution. They're what we call the red diaper babies that, you know, like Bill Ayer's dad uh, was the uh, director of Con Ed, for example. And, and so anyway, Bill Ayers is asked this question by Larry Grathwell. What will you do if you ever win this struggle? And he said, well, the first thing we'll probably have to do is open up re-education camps in the Southwest and put in 50 million Americans and do away with meaning murder about half of them. And what's interesting about this story is that Bill Ayers goes on to become the benefactor of Obama's early political career. He kicked off Obama's run for the state Senate with a party, a fundraising party, in his Hyde Park, Chicago home. And Bill Ayers uh, was a frequent visitor to the White House during the Obama administration. And when you look at that kind of mentality and who put Obama in, and you look at what Obama did, he had Executive Order 13603. And this is probably the most dastardly piece of a government document ever to be put out in the public. He basically said this in the document, you own nothing. We control all commerce. We control pets. We control pet food. We control your food. We control anyone's food. We can take any food, any water. We can take your clothing and we can take you and conscript civilians into slave labor. And he, they called these people experts. And he says, yes, we can take experts and put them into labor and we don't have to pay them. They're volunteers. Total slave labor. I'm saying, hey, Antifa, if you want to protest something, I think I just gave you something to protest. This is for everybody. But you absolutely did not own your car. You didn't even own the clothes on your back. That was Executive Order 13603. And then under Obama, we had the NDAA. The National Defense Authorization Act that was first passed in 2011 and this provided for the unauthorized warrantless arrests of Americans to be snatched off the street you never get due process they can murder you and no one would ever know you don't get a phone call if they do decide to give you a trial they can use hearsay evidence you can't it's just incredible what this document does and I've often maintained this Celeste Obama was brought into office to lay the foundation for the Bolshevik takeover of America, the communist takeover. 
and I point to these two documents as living proof of this. He was in baseball, what you call the setup guy. The setup guy in baseball comes in as a pitcher in the eighth inning to preserve the lead and hand the lead off to the closer, who's your ace on the staff, your best pitcher in relief, and he takes over in the ninth inning and puts that team away. See, I think Obama was the setup man for Hillary, the closer, and she was going to become the FEMA camp queen. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we all thought that. We all thought that. And there's yeah. a there is a really interesting connection, Nazi connection, with those bills. What a lot of people during that time frame, um, from Clinton to Obama, there were a lot of things like that passed that the same bill with the same name was passed in Germany by the Nazis just before Hitler just, you know, it went, as we would say today, viral um, as far as Hitler's movement. But NDA, the NDAA was one of those. On the same day, NDA was signed in to law um, on the same day that the Nazis did it with the same name. Um, and there were many other bills with the same ties, and it, that's more than coincidence. Do you think it's uh, there's, it's also occultic? There's probably that element too. Yeah, because I, I know the numbers, the numerology systems of the Nazis were much tied to the occult, so it would make sense that this would this would carry over. You know, my father worked in the end days of working with German scientists that were brought here and he did his work and they didn't call it Operation Paperclip with him. It's interesting. I know that's the official name. So his project might have been something different. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he um, he worked for f almost five years with the Nazis and there was one Russian mixed in and he was at um, uh, Martin Marietta in Cold Creek Canyon in the mountains outside Littleton, Colorado. Today it's called Lockheed Martin. And they were reverse engineering theoretical physics of the Nazis to take it to the laboratory for the next group to operationalize it into experiments in the lab. And they did things like vertical takeoff, um, all the things that are associated with UFOs basically. Um, rapid acceleration without killing the occupants. So you'd have to have gravity displacement on the inside. So, you know, in my dad's last two years of his life, I used to visit him on most nights and he started to open up and tell me this stuff. And they also said, yeah, but you can never tell anybody, son, because if you do, my two pensions that go to your mother, uh, she won't be getting them anymore and she'll lose this house and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, dad. But he said, no, when everyone's gone and the national security oath expires and this time, you'll be able to tell the story if you so choose, but I don't recommend you tell everything. But I met some people like Vance Davis of the NSA, Bill Pollock, who was a contract agent for the CIA. <clears throat> and they both actually had known my father in different roles. And um, let me tell you what my dad told me. After working with these people, for, he worked with some of them continuously for five years. And then sometimes they send in a new batch, but sometimes there'd be holdovers. <clears throat> and he said from the holdovers this, that he said, we might have defeated these Nazis in World War II, he said, but he was really worried about like people like Warner Von Braun taking over NASA. 
and Germans moving into high-level positions after they did their due diligence with uh, scientific transfers. And my dad said, the Nazis are taking over this country. He told me this in 1984. Um, was he ahead of his time in that observation, or what would he think? No, because they moved in a bunch of Nazi scientists into the USDA, which when the army transferred uh, Plum Island over to the USDA, it was populated by Nazi scientists. And now there's some in Ames, Iowa, they're all over. And now in the heart of Kansas at that new facility, that bioweapon facility that's gonna be opening up against, um, if you could ever help me on this one, I'm trying to track down that law, supposedly Congress in the 50s passed a law that it was illegal to have do biological weapons on the continental United States, which is why they put Plum, you know, Plum Island off of the continental United States to do their experimentation. But now they are moving it onto the continental United States against that one law, and I have not been able to find that one law. I know a little bit about it, but I don't know the law you're referring to, but I do know of another law. Um, You're testing my memory here because we're going on 30 years ago. Um, I wasn't involved in this work until, I don't know, 2004, 2005, when I was going through my difficulty with McCain, but I was aware of things because of my father. And I saw something back in the 90s, and I want to say this is maybe like 93, 94, and I'm kind of guessing, but that would have been the relative time frame. And I found something called U.S. Code 50, Section 32. Now, this is a distant memory, and I think I'm right about that number. Uh, And I looked that up a few years ago, and it had been taken off the Congressional Register. Uh, It was no longer a law, but it was at one time when I found it. And what it said was really interesting and it kind of deals with the subject you bring up but has a different application to it um it was possible and permissible for the federal government to do testing on american citizens uh, like radiation chemical whatever um, if the federal government notified someone in position of power in the local government and i remember and and i'm paraphrasing this badly because i remember reading the law and saying they could tell the dog catcher and then have basically carte blanche to do what they wanted to do they wrote themselves a blank check to test on any american and you know what this was during the clinton years i remember this now because you remember when clinton apologized for tuskegee and all the other things that took place um, well, if you want to march against something, Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa, how about that? How about giving brave American uh, pilots who happen to be black syphilis just to see how they deteriorate? Uh-huh. You want to, and by the way, uh, that was done under the Democrats. Um, so I do remember that coming into play in the Clinton years. And, and so Clinton came out and apologized and said, this will never, never, never happen again. And then I remember US Code 50 Section 32 came out. So that doesn't quite answer your question, Celeste, but it does point out the intent 
of keeping these experiments on American people on American soil. And I suspect even though Section uh, uh, USC 50, Section 32 is gone, I, I believe that there's probably something similar that's protecting the government for things like 5G. And, and so I get to ask your opinion here because I don't know the answer to this question. Do you think that 5G is related to the coronavirus? Yes. I, it, the more, with every increasing day, I believe that they work much like, I don't know if you've ever seen it on your computer, the handshake, you know, as your computer's talking to another computer or the server or whatever, there's that handshake. I think they work hand in hand. I kind of, what I'm understanding with the technical and the medical is that the 5G will be energizing it and mutating it and also is like a super highway for it. So there will be lines that it will travel um, and they'll be very distinct and we'll be able to tell. So there's several different things. So I work, I, I believe that they, it's a handshake that they work their dovetail together. So do you, I never found any evidence for this. When the Wuhan flu started, there was big speculation that the 5G triggered the metamorphosis or mutation of the original virus to to go crazy and go deadly. Uh, I never was able to validate that. Have you been able to? Not there. I mean, there, there were many different things going on there at the time. Um, like just before it broke out, there was a military thing where with a whole bunch of nations that were together they think that that might have been part of this transmission or or how it got there um i the first week that it broke i knew it was going to go viral around the globe because of my training so i grabbed at that time there were doctors uh you could get the doctors the, the patient charts on the internet and so I grabbed those and translated them. And it was pretty interesting. It was more than just coronavirus. There was something called the plant destroyer and umicide also that was in the patient's blood. Talk about the plant destroyer for a second. I mean, are you referring to the destruction of what brings us food? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I was actually... Um, talking with Steve Quayle, he, I have an organic farm, and I had established trees, citrus trees, spice trees, these are 15-year-old trees, my lemon tree, each tree had like 100 lemons on it, healthy, vibrant trees, and they started to die just before this whole thing broke, and I was going back and forth with Steve, and I was saying my trees are just, and everything nothing works and then I started noticing strange things like crystals like rock crystal in the earth and um, so we started it so it looked like there were frequencies involved it was obviously a bio um, thing well as it turns out I've done a lot more research on it and one of the signatures of the plant destroyer umasite 
Um, is is are these crystals as the plant is trying to detox itself it throws off these crystals but yes in the end um because this was released and it was released from the same facility i do believe it's going to take out the food supply and um, result in famine yeah that's what we had talked about earlier when we had a previous discussion and i i I totally agree with this what you're saying i totally agree with and and i've mentioned this before but i think it bears bringing up i don't know what you feel about predicting programming but on the michael bay production on tnt called the last ship they had a virus that was uh, mutated artificially wiped out 80 percent of the planet the planet was run by warlords for a while and then as the world's getting back on its feet here comes this crop destroyer and it caused massive famine Uh, do you subscribe at all to the notion of predictive programming and sometimes things come out ahead of time uh, on oh absolutely i mean if like the i'm not sure if we talked about it or not but i should talk about it that in like the tv show revolution if you go to cbs's thing it says you the un is the collaborator they provided the script yeah i heard that yeah i saw that too um and you know when they canceled the show this was really interesting i i hadn't watched it for a couple weeks and I had archived it on my DVR. And and my friend, Annie Dorisa, who was my news director at the time, calls me and she goes, Dave, they abruptly canceled Revolution. And I'm thinking, no, they wouldn't do that. I said, the show's too popular. They canceled it. So I went back and I watched the last two episodes and they were about FEMA camp, mind control, and extermination of the useless eaters. Does that sound familiar? And zombies and and zombies and nat- the nanoparticles too. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, those little uh, beads of light. Yeah, that they had they coalesced. That was a show. Why do you think someone would produce this show and put it out? Why would the UN be interested in that? It was predictive programming. I and, mean, and when why we, do they do it though? Why do they do predictive programming? Because the elite always tell the people what they are going to do before they do it. And if it's in a media form, it's easier to digest. It's not in your face. It's not something that you have to take action on. It's not a call to action. It's, oh, it you're being entertained. Oh, any yes. Karma and most people back, know that um, what they're seeing is an agenda item these days. I mean, maybe it, in the old days it wasn't that way, or maybe it's always been that way. I'm not sure. It all started with an EMP attack, didn't it? In revolution remember they were these two men were driving down the street remember and uh, the plane falls from the sky because there's no power and i remember they knew in the guy's family what was happening because he said quick turn on the uh the bathtub water yeah i remember i remember that very very you're bringing back memories now that's quite a few years ago um i'm not i'm not having any joe biden moments here uh but the, yeah, that, that was really a remarkable uh, predictive programming. What other predictive programming shows ha- have got your attention? So I'm not real. I am too big, too busy into the documents and then into the garden. So I'm not a big TV show now. If my husband was alive, he could have told you everything about everything. But I'm not the person to ask. But I've heard yeah. that there's a lot of predictive programming. 
and when I have checked it out, uh, it is true, you know. But there's very gifted people. I mean, like David knew and these other people. They just, oh, did you see this in this movie? Oh, like I did see one uh, this week uh, with Planet of the Apes, with the Statue of Liberty in the ocean, you know, in the sand, and it's you know she's like kind of, and that was. 2001 Space Odyssey and when did that come out? The 60s? Yeah, yeah. 68. Yeah, and Hal with Hal. Open the pod bay doors, Dave. (laughs) Can't do that, Dave. Oh, gosh. Oh, you're bringing back memories. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't get to watch much TV, but I I catch segments and I really kind of go off the emails of people that write to me and they say, Dave, hey, take a look at this, and I think you'll find this interesting. And it, they're almost always right. Um, there is a lot of predictive programming out there right now. Are the communist Chinese writing our movie scripts, as I have been told so often? I don't know. I, I would, So I was very into uh, international exchange, and my daughters lived in China and all that, and I and having had Chinese live in my home for extended periods of time, I would find it very difficult to believe that they could do that, that would track with American culture because they're an Eastern, their culture is very different than ours and to convey, I mean, if you're writing scripts, you have to be aware of the American culture and what's going to resonate with Americans. What well, is the, your take? On the remake of Red Dawn, the uh, original script called for Chinese paratrooping out of the skies oh, yes. into an American city. And then they suddenly got changed to North Koreans. Yes, I remember that. Which is really a fool's errand because the North Koreans are puppets of the Chinese. And uh, that kind of leads me into another area, another area that I'm watching and no one seems to be paying attention to it. And I've done two podcasts on it. You have the Chinese make a really bizarre incursion into India. It's bizarre. It's, it's like they're half visiting and then half trying to kill them, but they're not using uh, guns. And, but yet, in some of the physical skirmishes, they've killed Indian soldiers. And this is also at the same time when the Chinese are blustering about shutting down the South China Sea. I think what they're trying to do is provoke a conflict in India and bring in Pakistan with it. And I think that they're hoping the U.S. will come in and it will further make us expend our resources and make us more vulnerable to attack at a later time. So I've got uh, good friends in Australia, and the Chinese have pretty much taken over Australia. Yeah. They've got the ports. Uh, they came in first as under the guise of being tourists, and then they started buying up property and running things, and pretty much the, the prime ministers and stuff don't do anything uh now all of a sudden china is flexing its muscles and getting a little bit huffy with australians and they're not liking it too much uh there's there's a brouhaha 
not so not only are the Chinese going for India, they're also going for Australia, which is an ally of ours. Which is to me very, very, very interesting.、Um, the Chinese are also doing the same thing in、um, Ecuador and Chile. I get emails from American expats that are there, and they see. Hordes of Chinese colonists coming in, and you're right—they come in under the guise of tourists. In Ecuador, the Chinese have even infiltrated the local police departments. They have a presence in the police departments as well. So, yeah, the Chinese are in South Africa working with the ANC to extract、uh, white South African farmland. They get the minerals. The ANC gets everything else.、Um, it's it's just bizarre. But the one thing, and we're on this topic. And, and I'd be neglectful if I didn't bring this up.、Um, through John Moore and a couple of other sources, I got leaked a speech which I'm sure is authentic, and it's from Wee Fang, the Defense Minister of China. And I did a five-part series on it last July. And in there, he they basically say that we can't have spread out、uh, enemies. We, we we may have Taiwan appear to be an enemy, and we're going to subjugate them. But the real enemy is the U.S., and we need to subjugate the U.S. And they talk about using race-specific bio weapons that they co-developed、um, with the Israelis, and they want to wipe out as many Americans as they can before they bring the troops in. And they don't want no Americans here. They want complete genocide, and they're going to settle this continent with Chinese colonists. And and the thing is, the reason one of the reasons I believe it is I'm seeing this behavior with Chinese colonists going all over the world. And not only did Wee Fang say this, but the two previous defense ministers also talked about a bio weapons attack that would be extremely lethal for many 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 Americans. And it was the previous two. And the first time this was said was by the defense minister in China in 2003.、Um, have you looked at that at all? I. I believe that this is what you're saying is accurate,、um, and what a lot of Americans don't realize is that we have let the Chinese not only come as tourists, but like Idaho, they actually, if a Chinese person put five hundred thousand dollars in a bank, they got citizenship, they got a house, their children could go to college for free. Um, Americans don't get this, and they got healthcare、um, just for putting five hundred thousand dollars. So there's a large enclave of Chinese in Idaho.、Uh, there are other enclaves with them, but see, that's where it dovetails with this Wuhan、uh, coronavirus because I believe it is a bioweapon, and obviously it did come. I mean, I everybody. All the countries are involved in bio, bio weapons. So we can't. I mean, it's just like the Chinese have. We gave a lot of our military secrets,、uh, secrets to the Chinese. So, sure did.、Yeah. So the same thing with the bio weapons. They work hand in hand. I mean, you know, if you follow some of the sites, you can see. Oh, we're training with the Chinese this week. Oh, we're training. Trading with the Russians this week,、um, so everybody's kind of working hand in hand.、Um, yeah, not both good for us. Did you see where the NIH had fifty-four scientists fired for their connections to the communist Chinese? Yes.、Hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, going back, speaking of Annie DeRiso, my former news director, she had a contact who was a recently retired uh, professor of journalism at Western Kentucky University. And she would not go on our show, but she gave us a briefing off air one time to Annie and myself. And she talked about this Chinese professor that was brought in from the mainland. And he had 22 Chinese students living with him in a 5,000 square foot house, but still 22. And they were all involved in this professor's work that sometimes was classified and would go to the federal government. And uh, the thinking was, as she said, well, how is it the Chinese aren't stealing our secrets? She was wondering that. It was this obvious to her as a journalism professor. And so she asked the professor one time, she said, what are you doing with your students? He says, oh, technology transfer to the United States. And the year would have been, she retired in 97. So I'm going to say the year was probably 1995. This has been going on for a long time. A long time. I think Stalin was right, or was it Lenin that said this? He said, um, the Americans will sell us the last rope. No, the capitalists will sell us the last rope of which we hang the last capitalist with. And I think this is what we're seeing a lot of in America today. How does this end? I mean, I think if the Democrats lose the election by some miracle, we'll have Bosnian civil war conditions and maybe foreign intervention. Uh, but I don't think we'll see anything happen of significance if the Democrats win. Do you agree with that? You don't think we'll see anything of significance? If the no, I think if the Democrats steal the election. Right. Okay, and, and Biden or whoever the the designee is uh, gets sworn in. I don't think the conservatives are going to stand up to this in this country. I think they'll just roll over and acquiesce. Yes, Absolutely. And, but I do think if the left loses, we'll have hell on earth. Absolutely. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think we'll see mass casualty events like you wouldn't believe. Um, but I don't see Trump winning, and I don't think you do either, do you? I don't. I mean, it was a miracle the first time, really. I mean, none of us, or all of us, regretting Hillary. Um, or Hillary, but I, I don't know that we would get, we've made too many errors in judgment and there's, the corruption is just escalated and and we're in this bad situation. Is there really even going to be an election? Uh, if we get round two of COVID and everybody's imprisoned in their houses, I mean, yeah, we could technically vote on our computers, I guess. Or by mail. Well, no, because this this one may shut mail service down because it could uh, pass COVID and we would not get mail uh, because they really want us to go to augmented and virtual reality. Part of this social distancing is to usher in the technocracy or to deepen the technocracy so deep state is going tech, technocracy. Um, and when, so I've got a feeling we may not see uh, the post. I don't think we might get mail. Well, Interesting. You know, I had an exchange with a um, person who contacted me by email. 
and he was very insulting and, and so I tried to engage him on a logical level which is a mistake with a liberal but but I tried and he wrote back to me something totally unrelated to what I said and he said we can't believe how your side capitulated so easily and I wrote to him I said are you talking about going along with the lockdown he didn't answer me but I think that's what he meant were you surprised how easily we capitulated yeah so was I so was I and I capitulated in the beginning because honestly I didn't know what we were dealing with I said I'll give the government a month well I gave the government two weeks because I started to seize the fraud right away and I said okay presumptive diagnosis and all the nonsense I mentioned earlier in the show and I said I can't go along with this any longer but uh, I, Americans just accepted it um, and, and here's another thing Celeste that's funny I don't know if you've noticed this or not but the males in this country have become wimpified um, and I'll do this just as a point of reference here I went to Wickenburg Arizona and there were five businesses that opened in defiance of Governor Ducey's lockdown order. And they go, we don't care, we're opening up, come get us. Four of the five owners were female. Where are the men at in this country? Yeah, I asked the same question. I went recently went to Home Depot. My weed eater, which is only a year old, um, it, it, the head went kind of cattywampus and to me it looks like it could be repaired and in the old days like if David was here he would repair it right but I'm here by myself and there's I live in the wilderness so there's no repair places around so I am going to the city I take the weed eater with me and I go into into uh, Home Depot and I ask the person in the weed eater department I said, is this repairable or do I have to buy another one? This guy looks at me like I was from Mars. Like, repair? What is what is repair? And I mean, he looked at it like the weed eater was like a foreign object, like a UFO, you know? It was, I and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy wasn't even like a man, you know? I mean, even he didn't even have a curiosity he looked at it like ooh it's dirty you know of course it had grass clippings on it you know I live I live on a farm you know but Unbelievable. yeah I it was I was horrified and I thought well you know we spend all our money on Chinese junk and at first the Chinese junk lasted two years then it lasted a year then it lasted six months then it lasted a month. Now you're lucky if it lasts you a couple days and then you have to replace it. What a racket, you know, and people just do it. They say, okay, can't be repaired, you know, disposable, go get another one. And so we're paying the Chinese big money to slit our throats, basically. In, in 1980, I wrote a book, I read a book uh, written by Zygnef Brzezinski. It's along the lines of what you're implying here. And it was called uh, Between Two Ages, the technotronic era and it's really an instructive book for our time he said basically we need to reallocate resources from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere in a wealth redistribution and i saw through what he was doing because basically if you do that 
then the industrialists in America can have more multinational corporations. Remember, the book was written in 1970. So you get more multinational corporations and you have people now that get money that can afford to buy your TV sets and your cars and so forth by increasing the standard of living there. Okay, so I saw the coming of free trade agreements there. I didn't call it that, but I saw this coming. But I will tell you there's something else in this book that really applies to our time. And I think this is a good capstone to our discussion. Um, He said that he described various periods of history. When when you go, from example, from agrarian to industrial, you go through 20 years of what he called hell on earth. And he said, look at all the labor unions had to spring up to fight the labor abuses and the tenement slums and everything. And he said, so when you go from one phase to another, he said, this is what happens. And he said, someday we will leave the industrial age and we'll go to what he called the technotronic age. And he said that we'll move beyond industry. And I think you'd agree that he's probably talking about AI in 1970 terms. And I think that he's right on the money. We are living in the time when it's going to be hell on earth because we're transitioning from one style of living to another. And, and, um, it's, so, not a, and it's not a good style. No, no, because his, his, his argument was even if you come out the other side better, that your industrialization produces a better quality of life than your agrarian life did, your transition to getting there is miserable. And I think this is what we're in right now. Yes. I think we're I think we're in this transition from what well, we call it post-industrial because of the internet, but I think it's still industrial and we're transferring into AI. I think that's the next step. And and we're not gonna be needed in AI. And you and I discussed this on my show. This is why so many of us are expendable because we don't have a job in the future. Yeah, I got this book. I had ordered one book and I accidentally got another book from a a bookstore in San Francisco. So I call up the bookstore and I said, if I send this book back, can I get the book that I that I wanted, you know, and they they go, yes. And they said, what's the name of it? And I go, "Um, the cunning of history, mass death and America's future by Richard Rubenstein. And they go, yes, you, and, and the guy leans over and he's talking to somebody else. He goes, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> and that intrigued me. And that book sat on my, and he goes, I'll send him, if I send a mailer uh, like today, will you send that book back immediately? And I said, yeah, you know, but I didn't ever did receive the mailer, and so it sat on my hutch, uh, computer hutch, for um, uh, maybe a week, maybe ten days. And finally, the title was just too intriguing. I had to read it. It's about the social engineering and how they managed to near um, the German population to do what they did for mass extermination, and that it was coming to America via surplus populations basically what we're seeing now and uh eliminating the jobs and through technocracy that type of thing it was he was really ahead of his time um it's an excellent read and it's only about 150 pages something like that not too dense but it really gives you an overview of how and 
how they how the Nazis managed to get the German people to go along with the program. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it now. Oh, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing it for COVID. It's the same it's the same message. Oh, I'm just going along with the mask because you know, it's my job, you know. The the president has called upon me to wear my mask and to social distance. It's the same thing and then the law enforcement or the military are doing their jobs and it will be increasingly more um, repressive and we're going to go into some bad times. I don't know if you ever looked at the Milgram experiment and being an old psychology teacher and professor, um, I taught this every time. You really can't even watch most of this. Uh, They've kind of like censored most of it. Um, And um, it was Stanley Milgram in 1961, I believe it was, when he was at Yale University. And what he did is he set up this experiment because he he was tired of hearing, oh, the Nazis this, the Nazis that, America could never be like this. He goes, oh, yes, we could in the right conditions. So he had a man who was an English teacher come in and play the head lead technician in the experiment. It was a fake experiment. And all the guy did was have a lab coat and a clipboard and spoke with authority. And then they'd have the subject uh, they'd bring in and they wanted to see if he'd follow orders and eventually put someone to death just based on the guy in the lab coat's instructions who could use no force. The only thing the guy could say was, uh, you must continue or we'll have to discontinue the experiment. That was the only pressure he was allowed to apply. They had a Confederate in the experiment that they put in a different room and they wired him up and he's pretending to be shocked. Now in front of the subject, they've got this board where you flip a lever and it's electric shock and tells you how much it is. And as you move up the scale, it says danger, deadly. So it gives warnings as to what you're doing. So this guy, they do this fake word pair test. And this guy would read word pairs and the guy would purposely give the wrong answer. Sorry, wrong answer, 25 volts. And the guy would, ah! Then by the time they're getting up to the voltage, this guy's pretending to really be shocked. He's going, my heart, my heart, stop, stop, please, please. He goes, sorry, wrong answer, 450 volts. Now, Milgram, when he started the experiment, he thought 1% of the population would go along with the orders to inflict 23 charges that would eventually end in the death of the person just based on non-authoritative orders. And on the last day, he started to film because he didn't think anybody would believe him. And what he found was almost two-thirds of the subject would have applied a lethal shock. Is that amazing? Is that an amazing story? Yeah, I actually have seen that film, that footage, um, and it was amazing. Well, that really describes what, what you and I talked about not long ago, about will the military go along with this? They'll go along with it because of what we learned in the, um, the Milgram experiment, where humans seem to be programmed basically to follow orders. And we saw that with the coronavirus. We just followed orders like good little order followers. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. And we didn't ask questions, and now we've got a real mess on our hands. And you know what? I hate to say this and sound like a defeatist. I don't know what the heck we're going to do about this. I, I'm not seeing a good way out of this. I don't know a good way either. I'm with you. And I think many of us are troubled. 
The globalists have done a masterful job of closing all the loopholes. So, I I don't know if we if I mentioned this, but so my family's Jewish, and most of the family died in the Holocaust. Um, out of twelve different fa- uh, twelve family lines, only five survived, and I'm one of the five. And so, of course, when you have that background, you always think about you think about the Holocaust. And in my mind, I purpose not to have this happen on my watch, even though my dad looked at me from naval warfare at five years old and said, uh, "This is going to happen on your watch." You need to be prepared. I kind of, you know, thought that there, just like at the in the concentration camps, there were, um, at, like in the munitions, they were they would do like five, and then one didn't have any explosive in it. Um, I thought when I worked where I worked um, that I could find a breach that could be exploited but it I looked layer after layer after layer and I could see no breach and you know I was trained in that area and I thought surely there must be some way as they were putting you know the layers together and so you can imagine of course I was out of it uh, I did leave and when I saw that in, in January that world economic forum uh, all the plans together in a neat little graphic 250 layers deep I just my heart stopped because I knew I knew this the, the severity and the reality of what we were facing well the only way I see out of this is uh, divine intervention and unless this country is willing to get on its knees and beg for forgiveness um, I don't see that happening I agree. Um, divine intervention is a possibility, but we really have taken, you know, with all the aborted babies and just the injustice, the corruption, you know, uh, just our our country has lost its moral fiber and it's kind of lost its way. And so it's hard to um, think that God would would have mercy upon us when the country as a whole is sinning so bad, you know. Well, I would have to to, to say that uh, this is our only way out, and I totally agree with you. But I was I was speaking to Steve yesterday, and I said we're kind of like the United States of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says no, we're not. And I said, what do you mean we're not? And he goes, we're worse. And he launched into this long set of examples about how we exceeded anything they ever did in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm just saying, okay, then, you know, I just give it to the Lord and say, Lord, please protect us. <laughs> I'm your loyal and faithful servant. I don't know if that's going to carry any weight, but nonetheless. But Celeste, I want to tell you, I want to thank you for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been and, my pleasure, uh, too. You're, you're always welcome. Thank and you. I've got to say... I'm more of the document person, like I just love the science and the documents and all of that. Um, and I am just amazed at your the people and the contacts and the networking that you bring to the table. So thank, thank you. you so much for what you do because 
it takes all of us with our different giftings to work together um, to inform the public of what's going on. Yeah, and we're beating our heads against the wall. And, you know, uh, maybe when the real trouble starts, we'll find out how much uh, good we've done. But uh, we just got to keep plugging along. Well, Celeste, it was great being with you. Thank you again. And hello to your producer, Doug. It's always good to hear from him, too. So uh, okay, thanks, for, thank thanks you, for having thank me on. Thank you so much. Okay, take care, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Okay, so that was the um, Celeste Saloon and Doug um, Hodges, Dave Hodges, sorry, interview. And yesterday I was um, very much involved with trying to explain um, exactly what was going on in the... um, World Economic Forum and Davos there's Davos and then there's the World Economic Forum so um, I have a lot of other things that came up subsequently and one is very good but let me just double check from yesterday because you know they're oh I know which one I want you to hear now I played this twice before but um, I'm going to play it again because since I played it there's a lot of people that have woke up And so, um, I think that they would be able to understand it better now, if I can find it. that one. Okay, here it is. This is Rosa Corre, New World Order 5G Climate Change UN Agenda 21. So you have Davos, World Economic Forum, and then you have Agenda 21.
Alexander in Copenhagen, Denmark. It's the 14th of November 2019, and our guest today is an American author and international speaker on secrets behind UN Agenda 21 and global sustainability. She is the executive director of the Post Sustainability Institute and the founder of Democrats Against UN Agenda 21. Rosa Corey. Francisco in California. We are thrilled to have you back on the show and thank you very much for being with us. Hey, I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you. For the viewers who did not see our first interview with you done in 2013 at the Open Mind Conference in Denmark called Secrets Behind UN Agenda 21 and Global Sustainability, please tell us briefly what is UN Agenda 21? And since that time, a new term has entered the scene, UN Agenda 2030. Now, what is the difference between the two, if any, and what is the main goal for these two initiatives? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start with the, with my definition of United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development, which is the blueprint. It is the action plan to inventory and control all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all energy, all education, all law enforcement and judicial systems, um, all information, all food, and all human beings on the planet. It is an inventory and control plan. It is totally comprehensive. And it is not some dusty old plan. It is a real plan. It's affecting you right now. Uh, There's a good chance that you were in one of the 178 nations plus the Vatican, which agreed to this plan in 1992. And it's a global plan. It's implemented locally. And of course, it's called Agenda 21, uh, not because it's some like fantasy science fiction thing, like Area 51 or whatever you want to think about that, but it's because it's the agenda for the 21st century. So if you're smart, and I know you are, you know that the 21st century is a 100 year period, and uh, 2030, Agenda 2030, is a 30 year milestone within the agenda for the 21st century. So uh, the uh, agenda 2030 is actually 
um, a portion, a piece, a uh, a moment of stock taking and perhaps a little redirecting for the full Agenda 21. Agenda 21 has not changed. This is still the plan to inventory and control the entire planet. And we are, of course, moving more out of the inventory phase and into the control phase. That's why we have much more um, awareness now because people are becoming aware that uh, that everything that they're doing is being tracked. So. Uh, and of course, you know, monitored, etc. So, Agenda 2030, uh, you'll you know you'll hear about the Sustainable Development Goals, um, you know, which are uh, Agenda 2030 is supposedly focusing more on alleviating poverty, bringing up the um, uh, women and children of the world and the minority people, and um, but it's, that was already the plan of Agenda 21. That is the green mask. That's why I call my book Behind the Green Mask because that's the green mask. It's If it didn't look good, you wouldn't be falling for it. And, of course, the plan is to, you know, the story is that we're going to save the planet with this environmental plan that's going to, you know, punish you, you awful human being, and uh, put you into an island of human habitation. So that's sort of it in a nutshell. It's a very, very important and very controversial topic because it is happening to people just in front of their eyes and in their very in their own environment so um agenda 21 has nothing to do with 2021 right it's simply the 21st century it's the agenda for the 21st century it's a 100 year plan supposed to uh you know i'm sure that they would prefer to have it all wrapped up by 2050 uh that was the you know sort of the the, the goal year uh, to to kind of have full regionalization implemented, which is the interim step to uh, full globalization, and I can definitely talk about that. And globalization is, of course, connected to a new world order agenda, which all the presidents and prime ministers and movers and shakers have talked about actually publicly during their time in office. Yes, that's right. Uh, this is not certainly not a new idea. I mean, you could take it all the way back to the 18, uh, 80s to the Fabian Socialists, which is uh, the concept of uh, full, uh, what their, their idea, you know, you look at Marxist socialism, which is revolutionary uh, socialism. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, Fabian Socialism, which is slow penetration. Same goal different tactic and uh so you know it's everything gets tried because we are the big the universe is these is the experiment is the experiment petri dish for the globalist uh controllers you know so they try everything out so uh you see violent overthrow in some places uh and you see slow penetration which is done with the uh, educational system and uh, of course media and you know general culture so um you know, so this is the plan. So globalization, uh, if I if I may define that, you know, you think you know what globalization is. I mean, isn't it? You know, well, isn't it like having to be, you know, being able to sell your stuff to everybody in the world? Well, kind of, yes. But uh, you have to reel that back and think about what that really means. So when you think about globalization, think about it like this: it is the the full it's the standardization of all systems 
So what does that mean? Um, harmonization, standardization of all systems. So when we're talking about systems, we're talking about education, uh, legal systems, 